Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We hope you enjoyed the Christmas weekend with your family, both at home and at church. As we gathered as a church family this weekend, Pastor Roy gave a message entitled, What Child Is This? Many people are asking that question, and everyone must ultimately answer it for themselves. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and follow along with Pastor Roy. People in our world asking that question, what child is this? Um, It is a question that demands an answer, but he is the Savior, the Son of the living God. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to read the account, uh, verses 18 to 25. This really answers the question, what child is this, and why he came. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child. And we give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So what child is this? Dr. Frederick Loomis is an obstetrician. He tells the story of how he almost permitted a deformed baby to die during her birth. When he saw that the infant had only one leg, he was tempted to take the easy way out. It would be rather simple to let this breach birth end in in death. But doing so, he could eliminate so much suffering and inconvenience by letting nature take its course. No one would ever know. At the last minute, however, the doctor realized he couldn't do it. He brought the imperfect baby safely into the world. Seventeen years later, the old physician attended a Christmas party which featured a beautiful girl with a prosthesis who played the harp brilliantly. Afterward, the girl's mother approached the doctor and reminded him that he had delivered that child many years ago. He suddenly realized that the talented young woman had been less than a perfect infant he almost allowed to die. This story provides a powerful testimony, not only the value of human life, but also of how God superintends over every birth. This is not only true for this girl, but it's also true for the Son of God. Christmas is about a perfect baby who came into an imperfect 
world to bring salvation. Understanding this perfect baby coming into this imperfect world to bring salvation will give us a greater understanding not only of why we celebrate Christmas, but more importantly, how we celebrate Christmas. If we understand why we celebrate Christmas, then we can know better how we are to celebrate Christmas. I have two things I want to share this morning. The first one is that Christmas is based on a promise. It is based on a promise. David Brickner, in his article entitled A Promise Kept, he asked the question, how do you feel when someone makes a promise to you and then breaks it? Depending on the importance of the promise or the person, it might be anything from mild disappointment to a sense of betrayal. Or maybe you are like a person who has broken a promise. The time seems to be gone when a person's word is his bond. The disappointment of being let down or the guilt of letting others down can leave us feeling cynical and suspicious. Some people have shielded themselves from broken promises by having low expectations. They no longer have expectations and trust when somebody makes a promise because they've been disappointed so many times. We face disappointment in leaders, friends, parents, spouse, children, um, even ourselves. And sometimes we want to protect ourselves against having a broken promise. But it's a poor substitute for not trusting in the promise of God. That he was willing to send his son and he promised to do it. Keeping a promise is not an easy thing to do. Even if we, I was to tell you that I'm going to meet you next week for lunch at a certain time, several things have to happen. One is I can't schedule anything else during that time. Secondly, my vehicle has to work right. I've got to get there. I've got to put it in my calendar and make sure that I get there. And then something doesn't have to happen at home that takes me away from that or some other external circumstance beyond my control. And just me to schedule an appointment and make a promise for a week could be a monumental task. Imagine the promise of the Messiah. Hundreds and hundreds of years before he arrived, he promised, and for God to fulfill that promise is absolutely amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Maybe that's why Pro President Lincoln said, we must not promise what we ought not, lest we be called on to perform what we cannot. God promised and he fulfilled his promise. Realizing that God has kept his promise will do more to build our faith and renew our hope than anything else. God promised to destroy the evil one who had deceived Adam and Eve. He would destroy Satan through the seed of the woman. That's an unusual phrase, by the way, in the Bible when we look at that. It's 
it's uh, quoted for us in Genesis 3.15. Here's what it says. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Normally, when you talk about conception and a seed, it usually is talking about the man, but here it talks about the seed or the offspring of the woman because it was through the Holy Spirit that God conceived the seed. God was the father of this child. God also narrowed the nationality of this promised one through another promise to a man named Abraham who along with his wife Sarah had no children and humanly speaking was too old to have them. Nevertheless, what did God do? He made a covenant or a promise with this couple that he would fulfill his promise through that line. But here's a question. Was God risking failure by hanging his promise on the thread of an infertile couple? No. He rather proved his power and his great love through the supernatural birth of Isaac first. And then through Isaac, God then allowed Jacob to be born. And from Jacob, his 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, who went into captivity in Egypt. And this is important because there's a prophecy about God bringing his people out of Egypt. That we could be his people. The children of Israel became the vessel God chose to keep his promise to bring his blessing to all the nations of the earth ultimately through the Messiah. The prophets did not grasp everything they were writing, I don't believe, in the Old Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. And he goes on to say in that passage, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that was to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things." And when we come to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is talking about a coming king, meaning Christ, who is coming. Matthew has phrases like this, that it might be fulfilled, or was fulfilled, or is fulfilled, or should be fulfilled, to show that God was bringing to completion some prophecy that was given earlier. In the New Testament, there are 68 Old Testament references cited in the Gospel of Matthew alone. 68 that point back to the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. I'm going to give a couple of these to you. In Matthew chapter 1, look in verse 22, if you will. All this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, that he would come and be born of a virgin. That prophecy in Isaiah was given 700 years before the birth of Christ. It's fulfilled here in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, look over to that passage. Where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Notice he says, out of Egypt I called my son. This is a quotation from the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. When Herod decided to murder all the babies two years old and younger, there was a cry of anguish that went up from the hearts of the inhabitants of the region. God fulfilled his promise. If God had not delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, the Messiah could not have been born. The promise and the fulfillment of that promise and prophecy could not have happened. That's why God brought his people out of Egyptian bondage. And that's why he fulfilled what the prophet said, out of Egypt I called my son. It says in Hosea 11.1, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. In Matthew 2.17, it says this, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And it then is quoted in verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And that is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15. Also in Matthew 2, verse 23, he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Now it's interesting because in the Old Testament, the word Nazarene is not even mentioned. So how can this be possible? Well, I think it's possible because there were a number of Old Testament, <clears throat> excuse me, there were a number of Old Testament prophecies that foretold that the Messiah would be a despised person rejected by many of his contemporaries. You remember in John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathanael heard that Jesus was coming from Nazareth, and he said this, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was not a good place. And so it may be... The fact that Jesus grew up there takes on a figurative sense that a person was disdained by his peers. Also in Matthew 4, verse 14, he says, To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, taken directly out of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, it says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. So Christmas is a promised event.
God has promised it over and over in his word. The second part, though, and this is just as vital, not only the promise of Christmas that Christ would be born and he would be born of a virgin and he would be born in Bethlehem, all that was prophesied, but this is what brings it home. Christmas provides the bridge to mankind. It is the bridge. You see, Satan's strategy was to thwart God's plan of providing a bridge for mankind to be reconciled to God. What child is this? This is the child who bridges the gap because the gap has been so wide. When we look in the Old Testament and we look in the story of the temptation in Genesis chapter 3, and man is separated from God because they didn't just disappoint God, they rebelled against his revelation. God gave a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate of that tree, and that tree brought in a gap, a separation. And that separation was there, and then in Genesis 3.15, God gives the prophecy that he will bring a deliverer, he will bring a reconciler, he will bring someone who will bridge the gap for all of us. So why did mankind need a bridge? Why do we need a bridge? Why do we need a way to God? Because we've been separated from God because of sin. And what has the devastation of sin done in our world? It has brought death. It has brought separation. It has brought fear. It has brought humiliation. It has brought shame. It has brought separation even in our relationships with one another. In Genesis chapter 4, what happens? Cain goes out and he murders his brother Abel. Why? Because of sin. See, sin not only separates us in our relationship with God, it separates us in our relationships horizontally with one another. It absolutely does. I don't know if there's a family on earth that there isn't some kind of tension or conflict or disagreement or misunderstanding or something in families. And why is that? Simple sin. And then you put all these families together in a church and what do you have? You have the potential for conflict and for disunity and disharmony. Why? Because of sin. And the only thing that will bridge the gap, the only thing that will bring harmony, the only thing that will bring unity is the bridge of Christ. The Christ of Christmas. You see, some want to cover their sin by ignoring it. I just won't deal with it. I won't pay any attention to it. Ignoring it, however, does not make it go away. It does not make it go away. Some try to suppress it. We'll say, I'll just keep it under control. I will control this sin. But you know what? You can't do that either because sin is a growing thing. You will grow further and further away from God and your heart will become harder and harder if you do not surrender your life to this child, this king, this God. So there's fear, there's shame, there's humiliation. Why? Because we've rebelled against God, we've sinned against him, and there is a gap. Christ came to bridge the gap. I'm so glad he did. 
I'm so glad he did. Salvation is the promise. And that was the very name the angel was instructed to give Joseph when the baby was born. He says, and you will give, bring forth a son and you will call him his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The devout Simeon recognized the promise kept when he held the baby in his arms and he worshiped saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Oh, that the people of Huron and surrounding community throughout our state and across this nation would come to understand that there is a bridge to the gap of sin in the person of Jesus Christ. May we see the glory of the promise kept in the Christ child. May our faith be strengthened in the hope of this reconciliation that God has brought through his son. That's why he was born a promised Messiah. The world needed a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, a hope for all nations. And the world offers a response to God's offer. We offer a response when we hear that message. We cannot just simply ignore it. We cannot simply just deny it. We have to offer a response. So the bridge to mankind is really wrapped up in two words. It really is. The first one is Jesus. What's he say in Matthew 121? She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a transliteration of the Old Testament word Joshua. What does it mean? Joshua means God is salvation or salvation is of God. And he tells us in Luke chapter 2 verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the one who came to reconcile and bridge the gap that separates us from a holy God and separates us from one another. He is Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He is the Lord. He is God. He was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name Jesus. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not Shintoism. It's not any other ism. <laughs> it's all in the person of Jesus Christ. I remember traveling to India a number of years ago and we got to visit some Buddhist caves. And we went to one Buddhist cave that there was 200,000 tons of rock that had been excavated to build that cave. 
And that cave was built for Buddha. <laughs> and I thought, how many generations of people had died, had, had born and worked all their lives to remove that rock, to somehow appease a God that didn't exist, to reconcile themselves and be at peace and have eternal life. And there are many people who do just that, whether it's building a cave or doing it some other way, that they're going to do it with their own human effort, their own human works. And the Bible says, all my righteousness, all your righteousness is a filthy rag before God. That's why Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. The second word that he gives is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It is the promise of his presence. He says in Colossians 1.27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the great hope that we have, the presence of Christ with us. I never go anywhere alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God is with me wherever I go, whatever I do. And that means when I face discouragement, and I do face discouragement from time to time, I might need to turn this off. Is it getting better? When I face discouragement, I have one who is an encourager in the person of Christ. And that's who I need to talk to about my discouragement. And he is the one who can bring encouragement to me. When I face temptation, I have one who has power over temptation because God's presence is with me. Christ is with me. He is in me. I can overcome temptation. Not in my own strength and my own power, but in the power and strength of God. When I have a financial problem, a financial need, a financial hardship, I have a God who has all resources to meet my need because his presence is there with me. No matter how great that burden is, I have a burden bearer who will bear the burden with me. When I feel rejected... I can remind myself that I'm accepted in Christ. Christ accepts me for who I am in Him. When I'm trying to raise my family, I can teach my children the ways of God. Why? Because God is with me. And He will empower me to do what I need to do as a dad, as a father, as a husband. When I have decisions to make, he is my wisdom. The presence of God is with me in making decisions. I think about, you know, when I look back over the course of my life and some of the directions that my life has taken because of decisions that I've made, and it was only by the grace of God that I'm able to be where I'm at today. And you're only able to be where you're at today because of the grace of God in your life. But he is, the promise of his presence is there. I don't care how lonely you may feel. 
God's presence is with us. That's what we need to be reminded of. He is with us and He will help us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The praise team is going to come and lead us in one more song, but while they are, I would just ask you in the quietness of this moment, where are you at in relationship to what child is this? Do you have a personal relationship with this child? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is based on a promise. Maybe you have been skeptical about the story of the Christ. You need to look into the pages of Scripture. Scripture verifies over and over the story of the Christ child. The power of a promise kept in the person of God. Who gave a promise and he kept it. He delivered his son. We also have a God who has bridged the gap to mankind. He has bridged the gap that is there because of our sin that separates us from a holy God. Jesus Christ not only was born and lived a sinless life, but he died a horrible death on a cross that we remember at Easter. And he gave that life on the cross and he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. Our hope, our faith, and our trust is in the life, death, and burial and resurrection of Christ. If you are trusting in something else, other than the finished work of Christ on the cross for your sin, you are trusting in something that is insufficient to save you. Christmas provides the bridge to mankind. Satan's strategy was to thwart God's plan. And he thought he did thwart his plan when Jesus died on the cross. But instead, he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the greatest Christmas present you could ever receive on this day or any Christmas day or any day is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord by grace through faith. If you don't know him, I would encourage you to invite him into your life to be your Savior and Lord. Even if you don't understand what all that means, you will come to know what it means as you surrender your life to the Lord. If you have questions about that, I'll be greeting people at the back after the service. I would be glad to share with you from God's word how you can have a personal relationship with God. Please seek me out or someone else before you leave today so that you might walk out of here a different person. Let's pray and then we're going to sing one final song. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web 
by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.